On today's episode, my dear friend Teresa Sabatine joins me to talk about her business entrepreneurship programming, how she helps women move from stuck to clarity in her burnout recovery program. But more than that, we really focus on trauma and acknowledging pain, moving through pain in the example of the loss of her mother at age 16, sexual assault, overcoming sexual assault, and much more. Stay tuned. Hi. Hi. (laughs) I'm so excited that you're here. Me too. So today's guest is Teresa Sabatine, and she is the founder of TS Coaching and a dear friend of mine. I met Teresa probably about a year ago, new into my Austin um, journey. And there was just something about Teresa that spoke to me. And at first it spoke to me in like, who is this person? (laughs) Because I think you were having a day. And then it spoke to me of like, I just need to know this person. Same. Yeah. And it, it was really beautiful in a way that we ended up working together and Trace was coaching me through some tough times. And then I think got to a place where like we, we coach each other yeah. and we hold each other. Yeah. And um, I know that when I moved here, I didn't really acknowledge this need for like deep connection because I wasn't yet in a place in myself that I had that. And then over time, I got to this place of like my wolf pack yeah (laughs) and being surrounded by people that not only see me but hold me that I see and I hold and it's just easy it is easy and it's been an ironic journey in that way for me because you know before my awakening of sorts I always saw women as almost like threatening because so many women that had been around me in a lot of ways tried to take me down yeah in especially in professional setting which I think you've experienced too Mm -hmm. And then close friendships were, uh, they were there and they were available, but they had a boundary because I wasn't trusting of friendships. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until this iteration of self and like people being brought in my life, me being brought into people's lives that I feel such a deep connection of like sisterhood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I had a little bit of an advantage because I have two sisters. Right. You know, and you have brothers. So I at least had that for better or worse, yeah. <laughs> you know, whichever stage of our sisterhood we were in growing up, we had some really tumultuous times as sisters. And now we're obviously in a whole beautiful <laughs> alignment, which is funny, but I had a little bit more trust in that. Right. And so I think I might've been open to that. And maybe you saw that openness too. Yeah, in a way. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And uh, so fast forward a year later, we're here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess I would love to hear what you do in your coaching practice. Can you share that? Yeah. So I would say that just recently, similar to some of your, like, I know you write a lot about these threads that we pull, but we don't know what we're pulling on. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you have these for you, especially there's been like these moments of clarity where something comes into your memory and you're like, Oh my God, Mm -hmm. it started then. Oh, I started to realize that then. So like my coaching I think technically goes back to being 16 years old. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 12. And if you look at a picture of me and you look at the picture of my mother, it's like the same person. And I was her mini me. I mean, we were just, I was the youngest. We were super close. Um, and my development obviously was less when she got sick than my other sisters. And so I was just a little more young, <laughs> you know, just not as developed. Um, and so we were extremely close and she got diagnosed with terminal breast cancer. I gave her 10 years to live when I was 12. 
And it kind of set me on this journey of adulting much quicker than a lot of my peers, because you have to deal with this really big life thing, Mm -hmm. life and death, right? At an age where you haven't been exposed to that and you're not really developed in a way in order to really go through it. And so at around 16, I had my first real English class and we were learning how to write a term paper. And my subject was, does chronic stress cause breast cancer? I had started to really be curious about what was going on in my mom's body. And also this kind of like, I can remember praying at night, most every night for God to take me instead of her. I was raised extremely Catholic. And so we had this, um, and I'd say I'm a recovering Catholic when I meet people, but um, you know, this relationship with God where God was supposed to be this protector Mm -hmm. of all things. And if you were a good girl and a well-behaved Catholic, God had you covered, right? Like that was the thing. And so I would say, you know, God, I'm young. Just take me, let my mom live her life. Who taught you to say that? I think I just felt it instinctually. I knew my mother's power. My mom was a psychologist and she spent her life um, helping other people. I mean, from a very young age, we would have teenagers. She worked at a kind of advanced school where people would come and live for two years. Students would come and live. And um, these people would come to our holidays because their parents would not welcome them home. Like we had a young gay man who was told not to come home for holiday after he came out and had nowhere to go. And so he came to our Thanksgiving and he stayed at our house for a couple of weeks. And that was just my mom's way of moving in the world. Like mm-hmm. if she saw someone that needed a home, she gave them a home. We had another young woman who was dealing with a mental illness and didn't really have a family. She lived with us for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about what those boundaries should have been, but mm-hmm. that's just who my mom was. And so again, both good and bad of that. So anyway, my mom to me was this person who just took care of others and she was to to me to imagine a world without her was devastating and so for me to ask God well the world just can't be without this woman you know Mm -hmm. like she needs to be here um God never delivered on that obviously um and so there was a lot of anger there but that really kicked off my relationship to understanding you know stress trauma emotions And the correlation of like how we feel, right? And that can be those emotions that we feel or the physical that we feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of started there and I started to look at that question, ask myself that question. Um, And then my mom died when I was 22 and I had a semester left in college. I had been a partial caretaker for her. Um, I moved back in about four months before she died to kind of help the family more. Um, and went to her chemo appointments and was really involved in her care, um, which again, just accelerated my adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it made me one of those people where I would be out at a bar in college and a young woman would come up to me and she would just start telling me everything going on with her. Oh, my uncle died and mm-hmm. I know your mom died and you must understand what that feels like. I don't know what to do without him. And I'm like, oh, okay. And here we are like, you know, I'm, I'm like 110 pounds, which I'm five, nine. That's not okay. And I'm, I'm like totally disassociated from my life. My mother has just died, but still I had this ability to be present with this person's pain and probably a lack of boundary. Oh, a total lack of boundaries, which, you know, as you know, as my friend, I'm still working on. Right. But in my mind, I had watched my mother. I was conditioned someone's hurting you help them Mm. and so my mother didn't have boundaries um or I can't ask her if she did but like my observation what I learned was you don't need them 
you just help people when they're in pain. Mm. And so that started from a very young age. It was like people were just coming up to me to tell me what was going on with them. Um, and I was open. My energy was open. Um, and I had this insight, right, of like fucking overcoming extraordinary sadness, right. not even overcoming it at that point, but like I had navigated my mother dying for 10 years at that point, every day waking up. Is this the scan that's going to end her life? Is this the surgery that she's not going to come back from? You know, and so I just had this way of understanding that someone was in pain. And even to this day, I actually like see it in people's eyes. Mm. Um, and so it's something that like I have to try to not look for, you know, it's like a, yeah. a conditioning of the opposite. It's interesting because I feel it and yeah. I didn't know I felt it and it feels me. So we attract each other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I felt it in you, but I also mm. felt the extraordinary beauty of your soul when I met you, you know? And so it's not like, all I see is pain. Yeah. Right. I mean, part of my gift as a coach is to see the extraordinary capabilities of others. And I do, I see that in people. And so cut to, you know, I started um, in the movie business. I wanted to be a movie studio producer. And so I, I would say six months after my mom died, I moved to New York City with no job and no plan and, you know, a little bit of life insurance money from her dying. And that was like all I had to my name. I think it was like $5,000 at the time, which is like a lot of money, but in New York City is no money. Right. You know, that's like three months of rent. Yeah. And I lived with two people from my college and I started on this path of like, I'm going to be a movie studio executive. And part of the reason that I wanted that is because I had grown up and one of the first movies um, that really, really transformed my life was A Walk to Remember mm -hmm. because Mandy Moore's character has cancer. Right. And I was this young woman, um, I think it came out when I was in high school, who had just written this research paper. I was so confused. Why is my mother ill? What is this disease? Why do I feel all these things? Why is this sadness so big? And then I sat in this movie theater and like, they told a story that related so much to how I felt. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, I like this. I like that there's a story that I feel understands me. Mm. This is, I'll watch this again and again and again to feel understood, you know? And so storytelling became this huge piece of my life. And I thought, wow, what if I could just tell these stories of this human experience, especially young women and girls? Because at the time there wasn't a lot of content for us. Um, and I could do this for other girls like me, right? Like, oh, let's pursue that. And so I get into the entertainment business and I, and, um, you know, my grief kind of became productivity. Mm. So it was like, it transformed into this like achievement, which I know, you know, a lot about. And um, that finds me to people who transform whatever pain into progress. Progress. Or, right? Yes. And doing, 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 doing. Yes. And so I went on this decade long, um, fight against my grief and I'd also been assaulted which I know we're going to talk about um, at 19 in college and um, it, it was just all wrapped up together like it was just all one big mm -hmm. messy ball of yarn as mm -hmm. I say um, and I didn't know which piece to pull to unravel it or how it was connected or which one was worse it was just one thing um, and so I started on this path as a movie producer. I started at The Late Show with David Letterman. I had this incredible career. I mean, I got to do, I started at a small company and got to learn so much. And then I got to do Transformers. And like, when you're from a small town in Indiana, which is where I'm from, small town, you know, I mean, I don't know, 90,000 people. So mm -hmm. not like, it's not like a one life. It's not a one life town, you know, like it's, it's a college town, but it's a small town compared to New York City. Um, 
people that see you achieving things are so proud right. and they'll send you messages of encouragement. And when you come home, it's like kind of this celebrity type thing. And I'm not saying I'm a celebrity, but you get this affirmation. Wow. Look what you're doing. And that fuels. Because you left too. You left. Yeah. But that also, and your mom died and you're the girl whose mom died. And oh my God, if you can do it, look, oh my God. So then there's all this pressure that you're internalizing that no one's trying to put on you, but it feels like pressure. Well, now I got to keep going because this is what people want from me. And this helps other people feel like they can do things and I've got to achieve more and more. And it fills that hole in you of well, my mom used to be my compass. My mom used to be my validator. My mom used to be my love. I have no love mm-hmm. and I hadn't cultivated self-love or known exactly what that was. So then I had all these like affirmations from others. And so I kept going, but I was like, as I was going, I was burning out. So it's like, if you're looking at a chart, you know, one of those charts of time, you can see that my success was going upwards, but so was my burnout. And so they're just like this parallel up, right. you know? Yes. Um, and finally they catch up to each other. Right. And that's kind of where my coaching comes in. So I'm in Hollywood. I'm working on TV shows. It's prior to the Me Too movement, but we've got producers that are scumbags. We've got, I've got people pulling me into their office saying horrible things to me. Um, I was luckily raised by a feminist and a very um, strong father who taught me to own my own self and my own space. Um, And because I had already been assaulted, I understood the danger of trusting everyone, Mm. um, which is a very Midwest thing. Um, And so I'd already kind of been burned. So it was easy for me to see that person as the enemy or unsafe, Mm. right? And so I didn't fall prey to their advances or their manipulation. Um, And other women noticed. So they'd come into my office and they'd say, this is happening to me too. Literally, it's that. It's literally why we call it me too, right? Right. This is happening to me too. What do I do? And so I started becoming this mentor. I was also blogging at this time. So I'm a writer too. And I blogged basically from the time my mom died all the way for, for eight to 10 years. Mm. And so now young women are finding my blog and they're emailing me, how do I get in the movie business? How do I do what you do? And I'm on these phone calls and I'm helping women constantly. And like, like I told you in the beginning, I'm running into strangers. They're telling me their problems. I'm mm. sitting down with actors after, you know, you know, we say cut and uh, they're telling me what they're dealing with. And I become this like mother, right? All these people. And in the same time, I was becoming so unfulfilled by the work and, mm-hmm. and the toxicity of Hollywood, which is 20 hour days and no boundaries and no personal life and no just working your ass off. Um, and I was starting to see actual women in the industry who were where I wanted to be um, miserable, mm-hmm. right? Just like carrying the weight of the world for all these men and all this toxicity. And I was like, that's not it. Right. Um, so I went back to school and my aunt actually on my dad's side, um, was a coach. She'd been a coach for a long time. And she, one Christmas was like, I think you're a coach. (laughs) And I was like, well, what? That's like Tony Robbins. Like, that's all I know. And she was like, oh no, no, there's like a whole vast world of like, there's Tony Robbins. And then there's like layers of this. And she was like, I actually teach a program and I'd like to sponsor you to, to take, take the program. And it was a year long, um, coaching program at Duquesne university in Pittsburgh. Um, and it changed my life. Mm. It, It not only did it give me now a set of frameworks to help people instead of just like helping them by listening and talking and giving them my advice, but actually like neurological set of tools, right. How to change the brain. 
but it also changed me because it was the first environment I ever stepped into where everybody was like me in some way. They mm-hmm. felt deeply, they cared deeply about the world. They wanted to help people. They couldn't stop thinking about how to lessen their pain, to lessen others' pains, to, to advance the achievement of you know, incredible performance. And it was just like, what is this place? Who are these aliens? Who are these aliens? They're like me. It's my planet. And um, that was in 2016. And since then I've been building my company brick by brick. And now um, we offer, we're actually launching a community called Get Unstuck on April 1st, which maybe by the time this podcast goes, it'll already be up because women have been asking me, I take them through group. I take one-on-one, you and I can talk about that. Um, but fundamentally, it all goes back to that research from 16. Mm-hmm. Chronic stress does call Ill, cause illness. We know that now. We have so much scientific evidence beyond where my mom was that chronic stress and trauma can deteriorate the body. And so now that that evidence is real, my frameworks um, are really, they started as a burnout recovery, right? Because that's what I was. Mm-hmm. I had to unburn out myself. I had to recover myself. Mm-hmm. And so I started applying those frameworks that I applied to myself to all these women who were also burnt out or lost or stuck. Stuck is a word they use a lot. I'm just stuck. I can't find clarity. I can't find my way. I feel like, I don't feel like myself. I can't see beyond where I am right now. Um, and so they can't, necessarily describe what got them there or or the feelings right or the emotion or the chatter they can just tell you I'm stuck and I don't know where to turn yeah right and so once I applied that framework to myself and then you know about five years of applying it one-on-one I started turning it into a modality a framework where you could take yourself through it in group in 90 days Um, and in 90 days most of the time I can get people unstuck and in a new way of operating inside themselves And so all those alumni and a lot of my one-on-one clients are going, I don't need you all the time, but I need you. (laughs) And so um, we took their feedback and um, it's been about six months of developing this community where we're going to have workshops and a community forum and ability to join group calls for our alumni so Mm -hmm. that they can keep doing the work and keep getting better at the tools. And then also for people that are looking for a space to go to similar to how you started be with women that are there to uplift you, be there with women who do care about the outcome, who aren't competitive. And that's one really, I don't, it's hard to put it on the website, but like, I think fundamentally, I also found it really important that because of the um, misogyny and patriarchy, part of their power comes from separating women from one another. Mm-hmm. because as we know and there's so much data and so we all have experiences when you put women together to solve a problem it's like clockwork it's like, like clock, it's yeah. magic it's yeah. unbelievable yeah um and so I want to be 80 and I want to look back and I want to have had this like camp David of women where we are looking at society's problems from childcare to trauma to um stress relief to creativity all this and said, how as women would we solve these problems and then deploy women to do that? I mean, I think that's the irony. Like those are problems that are like felt by women that are experienced (laughs) by women that are uh, of women. And yet we're still not the ones answering those questions fully because it's not, it has yet been, it has not yet been allowed because wherever we become sovereign, we then become, you know, less than because of, as you said, the system and the patriarchy. And I think 
putting women against each other has long been what's going on. And then I think because of insecurity, let's take gender aside, so often leaders, there are so many leaders who are only interested in being surrounded by followers Mm -hmm. and they don't, they're afraid of being supported by people that are like them because they want the, you know, the dichotomy, the separation so that they can be on top and they can only have followers because the followers will never become leaders. Yeah. And so for me, what I've realized too, in a lot of communities and in, especially in women focused communities, mm-hmm. be it a yoga studio, a coaching program, so often the leader is, is only there to keep people down as opposed to bring people up because they're so insecure on their platform that they don't actually, they're not curating a space that's safe to actually grow. So I think it's so beautiful that you've created this space, a container for both yourself and for other women who can like learn to leverage themselves and then to trust themselves. Cause otherwise it's only the leader that can tell them that they're doing a good job. Yes. And I think that that's fundamentally, I always say, I want to give you a blueprint of your nervous system. And then I want to give you an, a way to, to operate that nervous system that benefits you. And I don't want you here forever. Mm-hmm. If you're here forever, I'm doing something wrong. Right. If you come back again, I think, forget the alumni and they visit in, everybody needs a check-in, everybody needs yes. a checkup, a tune-up, whatever else. But I think it's, an, it's very ironic you mentioned that because again, programs, studios, you know, communities where like people are coming back every year, every year for the same program, for the same content that's been pre-recorded and you have to say like you know what's being actually taught here what are they paying for and um that's when I get wary of of these communities that are actually like a little bit abusive in a way you know they're really curating followers well and it's hard I mean I will say as a human you have that again it's 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 what are you doing with your mind right and it's like of course I have those moments where I'm like oh she's better than me right like Mm. of course or oh that, that's my idea too. Can two right. people have that idea? And then you have to stop and go back into your soul, right? Your non-thinking brain, your non-ego and say, okay, what is this really about? All right, how do we collaborate here? Mm-hmm. If I'm envious of her, it means that she has something to teach me or she has something totally. she could show me or she's approaching it in a way that I never thought of it. I'm like jealous, right? right? So how do I turn that jealousy into opportunity? Right. And, and then how can you collaborate and maybe yes. work together something that's yes. better? Or bring her in. Yeah. And, yes. and I think it becomes interesting, forget again, gender aside, yeah. if there's like a leadership experience, mm-hmm. someone's a leader, I think ultimately people apply or join these groups, again, whatever it is, a religious group, uh, an organization, a coaching group, anything, because they want to be seen. Yeah. So the leader either sees, as a leader, you either, you can't see other people if you don't see yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you're only there to be seen and lauded, you're not a leader, you know? Right. And so often in those experiences, I've found that people like, they like, you know, give a little glass of cookie, like see you. Mm-hmm. And then the, the person wants a glass of milk, they're like, I don't see you. So the person comes back again the next year because they want to be seen again. So I think like ultimately, like kudos to you for creating a space where it's not about ego for you, because if, if there's anything I think you could have more of it, it's ego. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think that's, that's my truth. But with, with all of that said, I think that there, there needs to be more spaces and places where women in particular, because we are women, yeah. but gender aside, because it really is about the human experience yeah. where we are supported and we support and there doesn't feel this need to compete or to, you know, point, because I think it comes down to the human itself. The only reason I point out is because I'm really pointing at myself, yes. right? Yes. Well, and to your point about gender, this is my first year. I mean, I've helped a couple of men throughout my career, um, but this is my first year working with one regularly who owns a company. 
and they're a female male duo and it's so beautiful and it's so fun these men have all the feelings too okay they <laughs> all the feelings yes. and a lot of times they are unhealed little boys too just like our unhealed little girls which I'm sure we're going to talk about it's like it, it's so beautiful to do the work with them and I mean the reason I focused on women is because I think women need a space I think men have a lot of spaces to go especially coming up in the entertainment industry they always have a cigar they can smoke they always have a bar they can meet at women don't want to do that mm -hmm. they are raising children most of the time if not who cares? I mean, make your own decisions, but a lot of times they are raising children or they just have different priorities than putting alcohol in their body or wanting to go to the bar. It's not a very conducive environment for safety. Yeah. And so I was like, this is BS. All these men always have somewhere to go. where do the women get to go? And I'm tired of going to a strip club in New York or gentlemen's club in New York to get a deal done. Like I want to <laughs> make deals in a safe environment right. where people aren't, you know, this is horrible right. and so that's where it started to say okay I need a community for women mm -hmm. it's not that we wanted to leave men out it's just that we wanted I wanted to create a place where women could go right um, but the work with men is fascinating it's I think I'm not I don't I'm not working with any particularly right now except that my whole past career yeah. has been with men yeah but I'm working with one in terms of cohabitating and being <laughs> in relationships which I'm you know being really like it becomes a reflection of you. And yeah. he is a reflection of me. I am a reflection of him. Everything that bothers him about uh, me, about him is what I'm bothered about myself. Yeah. So it's just that constant, like he's messy. Oh, you're, you're pretty messy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like how he eats is just barbaric. But like, if I'm alone, that's how I eat too. And like, and it's just one of these crazy things where it's like everything, like his anxiety is triggers my anxiety because it's like, like we are each other, yeah, you know? And it's about finding also that boundary of like not pointing out, you know, really looking in, but also just having a safe space that is home where well, you can be yourself. This self-acceptance too, like last, just last night, my partner's here too. And he, uh, we had dinner and I was like, okay, I'm tired. Cause I got up way earlier as usual. He's asleep in, stay up late. I'm a get up early, go to bed at nine. Yeah. Please shut off the day. I've had enough. Yes. And so I was like, okay, I'm really going to go to bed. Cause a lot of times I'm like, I'll stay up and try to hang out with you. And I was like, I gotta go. Mm -hmm. And I just went into the kitchen, grabbed the peanut butter, put a spoon in, put some cacao <laughs> niblets or something like cacao, um, chocolate chips on it. Went in my bed, sat down, turned on my favorite show, which I watched for like 20 minutes before I go to bed to like soothe me yeah. and started eating the peanut butter. And he came in, he's like, what just happened? And I was like, oh, I'm just being myself. Like if you weren't here, <laughs> I would take this peanut butter and I would eat it in my bed and I'd be so happy. And I'd put it on my little thing in the morning and I'd put it in the dishwasher and fall asleep with my glasses on. Like, I'm not going to change what's safe for me because you're in my environment, but I used to. And that's then I so have anxiety that you've, I mean, that's so funny. Is this is <laughs> the first time you've ever done that. Oh them. yeah. I love eating in bed. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Or just like laying on the couch and doing, I mean, nothing or sitting on snack or like on the, <laughs> I like to eat on the floor. I like to yeah. sit on the floor. I like to. Yeah. So why am I, I going to like, that's messy to me, right? Like that's right. my messy. So right. it's like, you know, and sometimes I go in the closet to deal with my emotions because I just need space from him. Yeah, that's my favorite place. Yeah. Literally to hide in a closet and yeah. have a good cry. And, but it's so interesting because I think part of this is that men typically are not conditioned to hide what they are. No. They just are. Yes. And like women, we've been so conditioned to, you know, be zipped up, be super clean, be pretty, make like mistakes. make your mistake. Don't eat with your hands. Like, and I've long 
like spoken out on messy as sexy. I had it written on the mirrors and box of flow. Yeah. Everything to me was about leaving this dark, hellish place, sweaty in your feelings. And then you leave and like, I become this other person, but I wasn't actually acknowledging the fact that like, that was such a, you know, a duality because how do we bridge that gap of being messy and being messy as sexy? Like literally just like, and me, mess to me, messy is like raw. It's real. It's vulnerable. It's who you are. Honest. Honest. It's masks off with all of it. And we do live in a two-dimensional world where I think it's very hard to distill what's real from fake Mm -hmm. unless you're actually in person with the person. But because people do a really good job of putting on this facade of what is pretty and what is pretty sells. Yeah. People want what's pretty. Yes. People want what's wound up, what's packaged. Yeah. Perfect. And coming from the entertainment industry, it took me a long time to, and I still package myself. If you go to my website, I'm packaged. Yeah. You know, I got some good photos taken from a really good friend. Like yeah. I love making it beautiful. Um, but I, you know, I got off social media because I could know my brain as I was developing more and more and becoming more um interested in just being really who I am and being in the emotions that I'm in and expressing my dark and my light I found Instagram for me at the time to be such a failure at allowing me to do that Mm -hmm. and um not a safe place for me to do that and I know it's evolving and there's so many beautiful corners of Instagram that I will find and I and I and I love love it but social media came came to that point for me too it was just like oh I I need places where I can be in full expression. And mm. this is asking me to compartmentalize and put on a lot of masks. Yeah. It's also, it's asking me that because of what I'm conditioned as a woman in this society to do, which is to make sure that I look pretty and to make sure that I look like I took care of myself and to make sure that I didn't eat too much. And so I'm this kind of weight and I'm this kind of body and I'm this kind of clothing and I have this kind of apartment and I have this kind of car and I have whatever it is. Mm. And it was just a cycle of like, I actually don't care about any of these things, but I keep caring about them because I'm here. Right. So, um, because you were told to care about yes, them. Yes. Cause they, you were told they matter. Yeah. I think, you know, I haven't had an interesting experience with social media as well. And the less I care about it, the more natural I can be. If yeah. I'm like on a run or just telling true emotions, it's like that, what, that's what works for me. I don't know what it works in the algorithm. I don't give a, like I should, I should right. care or it's a business or whatever else to me. It's like, I'm here in this human experience. This is the way that I can share my human experience outside of the blog and the page, like outside of a podcast, just like me in real time. Like, this is how I feel. This is what I'm doing. This is like, maybe you relate, maybe you don't. And because in a way, like, I think that's forming community too around like your truth. Yeah. If you can do it in truth, you know? And, and I think part of, you know, what I stand for is someone who's lived three plus decades with, you know, in trauma yeah. and in lived three decades without knowing she had trauma. And so much of the mask and the facade and the ego that I was carrying was as a product of multiple, multiple traumas that I needed to like appear strong, appear sexy, appear, you know, it's your armor completely. Mm-hmm. And now that that has whittled away more and more and more, it's like, who am I, you know, underneath all of this? Mm-hmm. And then who am I frontward facing to social media? And can they be the same? Well, and also I will say, like, I work with a lot of businesses. So I have an entrepreneurship accelerator because of my big business background. And I just love like real strategy and creative Mm. strategy. But part of the reason why I'm exceptionally good at getting my clients results is because our emotions affect everything. 
right? And you and I have talked a lot about how box and flow in so many ways is the manifestation of what you needed mm. without even knowing that you needed it. You needed somewhere to go to be dark and fierce and turn the lights off and fucking feel what you were feeling. And you also needed that flow, like, okay, I'm ready to release it. I'm ready mm. to breathe through it. I'm ready to let my body be like in kind of a gentle stage. And you created this whole business, yeah. right? And you ran it from your trauma and you, in, 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 and it's so beautiful because like, look what you did. <laughs> But there's a point and you met it. And I love your story because your journey kind of, we, we know that if we follow you is like, you did hit that moment where like, okay, the trauma, the awareness of the trauma was growing and the success was also growing. And then they met and then they blew up and then they blew like up fucking like a volcano. Yes. And I was literally the universe was like, stop. Yep. And I couldn't move. Yeah. And I, that's where I meet a lot of people mm. because they've been doing something a certain way for so long, no awareness of whatever's causing the pattern emotionally or in their mind. Mm. And then they're going, this isn't working anymore. Right. This career as an executive, this business that I thought I loved, I'm so miserable. Yeah. And they think they have to quit the thing, but they don't have to quit the thing. Right. I mean, sometimes you want to quit the thing. Totally. And I have a lot of people to quit or their walk jobs. away from a bit or you yeah. know, you give it the air. Yes. 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 But a lot of times what needs to happen is something internally. And yeah. that's what we work on. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting you say that because this is me being so vulnerable now. And you know this, but yeah. like, you know, I quit the thing or the thing closed and I moved to Austin. And I, I think because of the amount of trauma that I've experienced, you know, it took about a year and I'll always be healing. I think we can both speak to that. I will always be healing, but I think for the first time, I'm like, you know, lifting my head out of the cocoon, like, you know, in this chrysalis. And so often I go back to, is it box and flow? Is my thing box and flow? Is it box and flow? Because it was my medicine and it was how I healed myself or began to heal myself. And that's you know, I want to heal others with this medicine, but is it really that? Was it ever really that? You know, and there's this loop in my head yeah. because as you so beautifully said, it was what I needed. Yeah. And it was also what so many people needed, whether they knew it or not. And I know that it can serve so many people, but then I have to come back to me and be like, how do I want to spend my time? Well, and I think also you and I have talked about now the status because it's coming up for me is like, a lot of times you see someone build something and then sell it because the thing still needs to exist in the world, but they've evolved beyond the need to be the one to create it or sustain it. Right. And so I think for me, in my mind, it's like, I think people still need box and flow all over the world. Do I think you need to be like, you know, like putting up your sleeves and like freaking, like you say, turning the lights on in the gyms and making sure everything is where it needs to be? No, I think you've evolved to a place where you are the creator of it and you can keep the spirit of it how it needs to be, but someone else could absolutely function in that business for you, right? Yeah. And so those are kind of the paths we take. It's like, do I give up the business? Do I hand it over to someone else and just take a different role? I wonder if you can sell a business that's not currently operating. I think you could absolutely sell a business that's not currently operating. Should I put that out in the universe? <laughs> yes. Or a partner with someone who can scale it with me as opposed yes. to me. Because I know that it's interesting too, if I'm again, being really honest, my dream was never boxing club. Right. I was scared out of my mind to own a gym. It was the last thing I wanted to fucking do. I, the only thing I didn't want to do more was own two gyms. And then <laughs> I did it. Yeah, it. no, I, I did it. And it was like the most, the biggest commitment I'd ever had. It was literally the manifestation of my pain and all of my power. Yeah. And it was what led me where I am now, like in every iteration and it helped others along the way. So I no doubt know that this, this is what is, and I know that I have such a deeper why to what is, but um, it is not, 
it's not my full dream. And I think what was, was speaking truth to so much outside of, I was hiding behind a leotard and a boxing bag. I was, I wasn't yet ready to really stand in my power because I didn't have it yet. You know, I was still in pain. I think you always had your power. Thank you. Yeah, I Thank think you. the leotard is a power. Me too. I think you put that on and it was like how you were powerful. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so feel like super I, I want to switch that a little Fine. bit just because I don't think that's the truth. Fine. Um, but I understand what you mean now that you know what you've been through and you know what you've overcome. It's a whole different power. A hundred percent. I can stand power. in that and say, yes. I am a survivor. I am resilient and strong because I've had to be and every fucking thing I've experienced has been a gift because it has made me who I am yeah as dark and twisted as that probably sounds to a lot of people who haven't experienced it or who have and haven't come to this realization I think you know Teresa sent me this video was it two nights ago yeah um and it was Evan Rachel Wood who she was in 13 wasn't she wasn't she the star of 13 do you remember that movie I don't know She's been in a lot. She's in Westworld. Yeah, she's been. Yeah, yeah. I think that was her first thing. Okay. okay. But she uh, finally started speaking out about the uh, allegations by Marilyn Manson for uh, like his abuse and his unwell behaviors. And to the extent where she's created a doc- documentary and she's appeared before Congress and she's passing this bill. And um, yeah, statute she, of limitations. So she's trying right. to get the statute of limitations to increase because right now it's currently one to three years. And this is just in the state of California. She's yes. going to work nationally, but she's done it in California because what happens in trauma um, is that you sometimes just like Olivia don't wake up to that it happened until years later. And so if those statute of limitations are not long enough for the person to, for the person's brain to actually come to the realization that they've been in a protection mode in order to, you know, dissonance in order to avoid the trauma, mm-hmm. um, then they have no case because right. the time has passed. And so she's saying that doesn't work with the, what we and know And it now. should never work. It should have never it worked. It should never work. Just because yeah. it's been three years since you've been raped doesn't mean three years later, five years later, you shouldn't be that able to say- accountable. Right. Yeah. And the statute of limitations, I think, is causing a lot of pain. And not only do some trauma victims, they suppress it, they don't remember, they freeze Mm -hmm. as a protection. Also, there's a lot of shame. Oh, unbelievable. When I got assaulted and my, my mom and dad asked if I wanted to go to court, I said, no, I was 19. And I was so afraid. And I had already been so afraid. I mean, the shame actually caused me to attempt suicide so I was in the hospital got my stomach pumped took a bunch of things to try to end my life um and scared the crap out of my parents um Mm -hmm. and my sisters and everyone but it was because the shame was so big the only thing I could think of was to no longer be here Mm -hmm. and in my little 19 year old traumatized mind I was just like this is too much for my parents it's too much for the people that know me now my sisters have this shame I'm you know I shame the family and I just was like overwhelmed my my nervous system as I know now was flooded it was flooded and it could not take on anymore um but I feel like when you're going through that you can't make the right conscious decisions conscious decisions because you're not you're in survival mode or fight or flight or freeze and you're just trying to make it through the next day um and then there's also this entire other thing that we don't talk about which is that now that the statute of limitations up that doesn't make that person less likely to hurt someone else so now they're out in the world and we're just not going to hold them accountable but we have no idea who else they might be harming with their trauma induced violence it's just, there's this cycle of pain of like hurt yes. people, hurting people, yes. hurting people, hurting people. It's generational. 
you know, it, it's, it's unfair, I would yeah. say. And the fact that the legal system is limiting the opportunity to, to speak up, mm-hmm. it's promoting silence. Oh, and it also, I mean, I've been involved in domestic violence issues with friends of mine from growing up where the court system, he has beaten her into ICU, taken all her money, cut off the health insurance, and the, and the, literally they're not helping her. They're giving him, they're still giving him child, like, you know what I mean? Like access to his children. And they're not, like, they don't, but like, it, it's insane. Mm-hmm. The system is so broken and it's so unbelievably backwards and and has no idea and then there's also the cronyism so like having worked in like somewhere like Chicago it's hard to explain this but like you know the mafia is a term that we use technically but there is a mafia style to the way things happen which is just like our congress and just like our government hey I know that guy this is my guy you should use him for this oh you know and then they get paid to use that product or use that person or use that company and there's all this like under dealings going on and it's the same with our court system I mean that's politics to say everything lobbyists everything right and so just to act as if that's not at play here when women are trying to speak out and that that's not what they're up against all of that just all of that that whole system is it would just be naive naive. and so so Teresa sent me this video two days ago Evan Rachel Wood talking about Marilyn Manson and all of this, this legislation she's trying to pass only in California. And I didn't watch it right away. I was laying on the couch with my boo and I didn't even know, like, I just, it was one of those things I just, whatever. And then sometime the next morning I clicked on it. I watched it. I noticed how diplomatic Evan Rachel Wood was Mm -hmm. almost like completely unemotional talking about this and her role and what she's doing. Mm And I was interested and I clicked another link because she was on Drew Barrymore and I only clicked it because it was the, the shortest yeah. of the <laughs> okay. four minutes. Okay. And um, she humanized herself. Mm-hmm. Her hair was down. She wasn't completely done up. She was talking about how the reason this came to be, why she finally decided this was her time was because she's a mother now mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to bring in a, ch- a child into this world that, you know, is going to be privy to all of this pain. And she also spoke about, you know, accountability mm-hmm. and statute limitations and losing your privilege if you have it and your platform. And your platform. You and I uh, I was shook. I was completely speechless. I froze for the first time, probably in like a week or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> or maybe a month. I've gotten sort of, everything's working out of me quite quickly. But it was the first time I had seen a video that made me freeze. Mm-hmm. And for my whole life I've been running. So I would see something like that and it wouldn't even affect me because I would bypass and I didn't realize, yeah. but I would see something or someone say something and I would put on my shoes and I'd go for a run, period. Run away from the pain or I would just run away to find myself again. I would find a boxing bag. I would get back in my body. I couldn't move. I couldn't move for a couple of reasons. I couldn't move because the weight of her words were, was so heavy mm-hmm. of the idea of the amount of children that have been traumatized, will be traumatized, people, men, women, all genders. I couldn't move because of this idea of accountability because I too, in so many of my experiences, went to a lawyer to say, what can we do about this? These men are the head of their country club, you know, top surgeon in the country, uh, etc. Yeah. And they are fucking free. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here in purgatory 
for the past year or really the past three decades of my life, not knowing which one was end was up, not being able to like literally basically uh, like live as a human. Um, and they're out there doing whatever, you know, not being held accountable because of the statute of limitations. And because as we've discussed, like platform and privilege, like we need to shed light on this, even in a conversation like this. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to go back to what happened to me when it comes to the law, it's, I got asked to participate in a documentary when I was, my mom had already passed. So I remember I could not call my mom to ask her if it was the right thing to do. And so I called my dad. And I've been asked to get, be a part of a documentary about actually the hospital system and how they handle mm. assault victims. Because when I when it happened, I was in Florida on spring break. Um, I had never done anything like that in my life. Um, it was my first time like being away from home in that way, like no parents, whatever. Of course, it's almost like you you, you almost can't even like. I don't know. It's everybody's story, right? Like it just happened so often in the environment. It was a stranger. And I ended up telling my, my mom called me the next morning and she knew something was wrong. And I had already decided I was going to tell anybody I wasn't going to go home. I, I was just going to, it happened. It's over. And my mom was like, you're going to get to a hospital right now. And she got on the phone with my friends. She created a whole plan and sent my dad on a plane to Florida, all this stuff. And the hospital system itself was what was maybe equally as traumatizing for me as the experience, because you had a police officer telling you how much worse it could have been. You had a doctor not believing that you weren't sexually active because I wasn't, um, that this was, that I was avert. He was like, are you sure? Like, these are the things they're saying to you. All male doctor, all male police officer, um, all male staff. Um, the guy ate a sandwich. I watched him eat a sandwich while I was waiting for my medicines because you have to do like the HIV, what you have to do all this stuff. And I had this horrible experience as this young woman down and it just was horrible. And now granted, I was happy to be helped. I was happy that there was that, you know, they asked me about a rape kit. I didn't know what that was. There was no one to educate me on what that would mean or what that could be for me. It just sounded really alarming. And I was like, no, I just want to get whatever medication my mom said I needed. I want to go home, like home, home. And my daddy's coming tomorrow and I just want to get out of here, you know? And it was just like, so I had this horrible experience and someone was doing a documentary on the hospital care for assault victims. And I was asked to do an interview about my experience. And I remember calling my dad and being like, you know, they're doing this documentary. And I really feel like if this happened to me, isn't the only way to make something out of it is to make sure no one else has the experience that I had. Like, isn't that what this is for? Just like mom dying. Now I can answer my friend's calls when their parents have cancer and talk mm. to them about the scans and tell them what's going to happen next. And when they lose someone they love, I can be the one that goes to the funeral and I can sit with them because I know what that feels like. Isn't that what this is for? And he was like, this is your name. You're going to be on camera. Everyone's going to know that this happened to you. Oh my gosh. Right. And that's a generation thing, right? And that's my dad. Right. We don't talk about these as things. As a masculine trying to protect me. Right. But that was what the message was. And so imagine that's me who has parents who, my mom was a psychologist. She's been in this space. My dad was married to her for 30 years. Like they, they have what you would think is a more advanced understanding of how this type of world operates. And yet still he was afraid of the shame it would bring for my life. And so now you're talking about, you know, all these other people that are trying to figure out how to get the care that they need and get the support that they need. And and are um, so afraid to so afraid. ask. Yeah. And are so afraid. I mean, when I first shared my story back in July, I got so much inquiry and so much like me too. And so much I see you and so much I, 
you know, I am you, yeah. but like nothing more crickets yeah. because, or like a lot of like support from people who could or could not have had some experiences than as me, but are afraid to talk about it yeah. because, because there is so much shame. And I think so much of both of our work is, is changing the script and changing the stigma around, you know, what it is to have experienced this pain and how this pain hasn't, has served us. Yeah. Even. Well, and if you're talking about trauma, let's just go there, right? It's like, okay, if one in four women, if the, if, if the average is one in four women will get assaulted in their lifetime, right? So then you're talking about one in four. Now and one talking, in four men. Yeah. And you're talking, okay, so you're talking about one in four in people, right? So we have this rampant problem and it goes from sex trafficking. It goes from at-home abuse. You know, we had some, some um, I would say like, you know, it, it was not an easy time in my family when we were little. My dad was dealing with his masculinity, trying to figure out how to parent. He made some mistakes. There was some trauma I had to deal with. Um, but then there's also these homes like yours, you know, or, or relatives that are hurting children, all this stuff. So it, it runs the gamut, mm -hmm. right? Assault in all, in all the spectrum from the very small, just being spoken to in a very aggressive, negative way and being told that you're a piece of shit, whatever that is, right? to parents that don't know how to talk to their children all the way to what we're talking about with, you know, you and what you've been through. Um, not in my home though. Not in your home. But yeah, I, mean, I just want to clarify. No, that. no, no, no. But I mean, like people, this is happening to people in their homes. This totally. is happening to children in their homes or it's happening in their neighbor's house or it's yeah. happening in their babysitter's house, right? It's everywhere. That doesn't mean that it's the only thing that exists. So I'm not trying to make it bigger than it is, but it's happening mm -hmm. one in four. Imagine the trauma that humans are carrying around. And then imagine that we've decided that it's too shameful for you to share that that's happening. So if it's too shameful for you to share that it's happening, guess what you can't get? Help. Help. And it keeps happening. And it keeps happening. And not only that, but now we have the science that correlates trauma, which is chronic stress, right? How it exists in your body. So now we have the physiological effects, so mm -hmm. how it's affecting your body. And now we have an incredibly aggressive climb in disease, mostly autoimmune, cancer, things like that, right? And now we have all this correlation. Mm -hmm. And so basically we just have a bunch of people walking around who could absolutely restore their health, who could absolutely live longer, more flourishing lives, who could absolutely recover from what has happened to them and live in safety and beauty and joy and possibility. Mm -hmm. And the shame around all of this and the statue of all of it is inhibiting us from healing. It's it's killing us. It's killing us. <laughs> it's, it's it's literally killing us because I think it comes like the in the one in four. I would say the majority of humans. I would say the majority. They're not living. They're existing. Yeah. Be it trauma. Be it something else. Yeah. Be it the 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 you know they're not good enough. Those the limiting beliefs. The competition. This comparative judgmental world that we live in and we live in a beautiful world do not get me wrong I'm so grateful to be here with yeah. that said there is so much pain and the pain it shows up everywhere it shows up in the comparison it shows up in the judgment it shows up in the not good enough or I wish I was or I you know and these limiting beliefs are what we actually are telling ourselves and we're training our nervous systems to not be good enough to not feel good enough and then if you put trauma in the mix then you're adding in some sort of disease or illness or sickness or autoimmune disease or just some some response that doesn't allow you to function fully in this life yeah. and then you're existing right and so again on that spectrum we're talking about um you know like it's probably not 
I don't think my dad would be happy that I say on this podcast that he used to yell at us. I mean, he used to, he, he was a, he was a, he was my dad. I was a little person. He was a big person. It felt big to right. me. Yeah. And so at that time, when you're three, four, and your nervous system is experiencing that, that's when we're imprinted the most. That's when we imprint our beliefs, our conditioning of how the world works and how we're supposed to behave in the world and what we need to do to survive the world. And so if you're having that at whatever level, if it's at the level of my dad, where he raises his voice and treats us that way to all the way, what we've been talking talking about like that is a cancer in your body the thoughts are a cancer in your body and there's literal evidence to how our nervous system then responds that then affects our blood flow our blood pressure all of that the hormones that are released in our body and so what's really beautiful about this is that the science is here Mm. you're using it in such an interesting unique and I would say like even progressive way of the psychedelics and that journey's been so beautiful you know, I'm a little more academic and I'm like, okay, what are the, you know, I, I still need to be in this academic side. I'm a little nervous about this side. I'm spiritual, but that's a lot, you know, <laughs> and we're all approaching it from these different ways. And there's so much possibility for yeah. everyone. No doubt. And that's why I want to talk about it. And that's why I want to teach these modalities. That's why I want to create a community and grow it and help other people overcome because it's like, you can, you can. And if we can do that with generations, can we just, delete the trauma i mean we could certainly diminish it it? like severely right severely could we get to a place where my granddaughter doesn't live in a world where she's to worry about walking down the street i mean god willing right god willing. that's the bet i'm making right that's my infinite goal if you will and i think that if i don't know why well except that a lot of big business services pain yeah so much so I was gonna say I don't know why we wouldn't want that but you know we live yeah of course it's all it's money money. and and that's sickening and saddening because the 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 cost of pain that I've paid for my life like I've been in fight or flight my whole life my adrenals have been shot my whole life my hormones been off my whole life I never learned how to feed myself care for myself. I didn't learn how to share. I didn't learn how any boundaries. I never inhabited my body. And like, again, three decades later, cause like my trauma started, you know, four or five, whatever. I'm just now self-regulating and getting to the place of like fullness and wholeness. And that I don't have to, you know, shout to be heard. I can just be me. You know, I don't have to be so fantastical to be noticed because I finally see me. I I don't have to be anybody but me. I am completely worthy simply because I am, because I'm here, not because of what I do, not because of what I have, anything else. And I think trauma takes that from you. Oh, it does. And I I actually don't know if you'll mind and you can tell me no, but I remember because this happened for me, which is why I knew it was happening for you and why we were able to work on it together of, I always say, when a woman is learning that there's a new way to operate in the world, which in my book is to put herself first, right? And we, we see the self-care Friday, self-care every fucking day, every moment all of every day. fucking day, all, all day, day, okay? But our spectrum is, okay, I came from a place of trauma. So what I think is normal, mm. right? And what you think is normal is based on what happened, right? And so as we start to move towards healing and joy and, 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 and making space to not be responsible for other people and not to protect ourselves constantly and not be afraid constantly, it feels dangerous to put the armor down. And by dangerous, I mean life or death. Freeze. Literally. Literally. Yeah. So that is such a courageous moment for all of us. And to not be able to have a therapist or a coach or a friend where you can actually 
realize that it's not dangerous mm. and that there's people there, whether it's just one person or professionals or the psychedelic journey or your spiritual healer who could actually say to you like, Hey, you know what? You're safe. We can do this. Yeah. We're going to do it one step at a time and believe that they don't want anything from you in you. return or they're not going to hurt you. Right. And I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. The trust thing, man, I still am working on trust and, and I know that I probably always will be, you know, trusting my surroundings, trusting myself in my surroundings, trusting my body, like really honoring that, like this phrase, you know, everything you need is inside. Like your body tells you when it's hungry, it tells you what it wants to eat. Your body tells you when you need to move, when you need to leave, when it's okay to stay, when you need to sleep, like who around you is safe. Right. Who around you is not. Right. But once we escape our bodies and move up to our minds, because that's what happens in trauma, yeah. everything becomes a loop. Yeah. It's the constant talking into something, talking out of something, worrying, judging, comparing, like you don't see yourself clearly, you don't know where you are. Mm-hmm. And it comes back and, and it you returns. don't know good from evil anymore. No. Your instinct is not honed because it's not your instincts anymore. It's the trauma brain Completely. trying to survive itself constantly. And your body so often goes back to the perpetrator, which is so much of my story because that's the only thing I knew. I didn't know uh, what love was was meant to be. I didn't know what was safe. I didn't know I wasn't here. And to my you know credit, I built something really fucking cool. I did a lot of cool shit for not being here, but it was always a fight. It was always to prove myself. It was always to be seen because the little girl inside of me just wanted to to be seen just wanted to be big just wanted to be heard and my voice was taken away you know at five my body was taken away at five uh and so when you operate from that place you know you're never safe well and something too is like because my perpetrator was male and then my dad was this really masculine figure who I mean I just want to give him the credit he learned how to treat us and changed and so from that little window of time from like zero to seven and then from seven on it was like kind of different but um you're afraid of the when you're abused you're afraid of the repercussions of not letting yourself be abused so for instance you learn that trying to protect yourself is actually more dangerous because the consequences are heightened right so if you push back on an aggressive abuser in any kind of way it escalates the violence, right? It gets louder, they get more aggressive or they hit you harder or they hurt you harder. And so you start to learn that it's actually not safe to stand up for yourself at all. And so then everywhere in your life, you're just a fucking- People pleasing. Rag doll, right? right? I use that term, like when I'm doing my healing, I'm like, I felt like I was a rag doll mm-hmm. and that I did not have the permission to stand in my power. It's funny, my, I just recorded an episode with my functional medicine doctor two days ago. And he said, you, when you are angry, you show up like a man in a trauma response. You're like a man. So I get fucking loud. I get angry. (laughs) I do the opposite. Like in a lot of ways, but, and then I also shrink and I get quiet and, you know, so I, I go spectrum, but my outside persona is like, I'm fucking brave. I'm strong. I can do all of this. And then the inside is like, but you can't, you can't, you don't, you can't do anything. You're not safe to do anything. You just, you know, and then I wither and then I wither and then I wither. And then I get to a place I'm so withered that, um, I don't recognize myself anymore. So then I stand up really tall and really loud. And then I fight even harder because I'm trying to, you know, uh, come like self-regulate in that way. Cause I don't, I didn't know how else 
to well and what I love about your story that I think is parallel to mine in a different way but the same is that when because <laughs> we didn't know what safety was when you find someone who actually is safe I think my first I know it's with my partner is that I get into that masculine and I'm like oh no, I'll, I'm, I am fucking safe to say no. And I don't like that and get out of my, you know? And then I'm like, why well, don't want to treat someone this way? This is confusing. Why am I being like my father in some ways? Like, why am I using my anger? Why am, you know? And then it's like, oh, it's because I actually am safe. So if I am safe, then what do I want? Well, I want joy. I want laughter. I want connection. I want intimacy. I want love. I want celebration. I want play. All I want, right? But like, I don't know how to do that. Right. So we <laughs> default to like angry and yes. loud and defensive, right. emotional. Well, because the irony is what it's reprogramming, like what actually is safe yes. is safe. Because yeah. what we've been programmed to think is safe is not, not safe. Not safe. No. And so I think, you know, so often you work, you know, with this parts work and yes. coming back to the younger self or the part of you that doesn't feel worthy and recognizing like the little girl in me that wants to come out and play, but she's yeah. so scared so because, scary. because she was never safe to do that because she was always hurt when she did that yeah. because no one saw her when she did that. And it's like, fuck, you know, three decades later. And I say that because it feels so enormous to me. It's like, oh, I'm like five-year-old drives my life all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I like <laughs> have to grab her out of the closet and be like, come here, sweetie. Yeah. I got you. Oh, it's safe. Like it's for safe. real. And I'm not tricking you. Right. Yeah. You're okay. You're okay. And then, and then in any situation of contention, me coming back to myself and being like, you're okay. okay. You're finally like worthy in a sense to yourself that you've chosen a partner who sees you as worthy because he sees himself as worthy. So it's like, we're not playing this, you know, game anymore of power struggle. No, not power struggle. There's no more wool over the eyes and it's working through these obstacles together. And I think my, the woman I work with had said it so beautifully. She said, you know, you're, you're really walking each other home, which is just like, I know, which is like, are we? And then I'm like, I'm not sure. Are we? Is he the one? Like, are we? But yeah. And I think yeah. that's the goal. It's like to yeah. find people that you want to walk home with. Yeah. 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 Build a home with too. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I, I'm so glad you mentioned parts work because, you know, it's the clinical term is internal family system. So if you're listening to this and you want to Google it, there's so much awesome content. Um, but I feel like that is such a transformational tool mm-hmm. and, um, I do it in my burnout recovery because a lot of times our rules about productivity and work come from an old story of how you proved yourself to your parents or, you know, whatever that is, we have to go back. And so it's not always traumatic that we're going back to. Like, I think people think, well, if I don't have trauma, then this conversation isn't relevant to me. No, 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 no. You're a human being who experienced a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I call it the stuff that shapes you. Right. And the stuff that shapes you might just be a teacher who told you you were a shit writer. And so now you think you have no creativity and you can't express yourself. Right. But that person was just a disgruntled person who never followed their dreams. And so they tried to shut you down. That's a moment that could potentially be defining how you show up in the world. 100%. And you get to go back there and rewrite that story and say, I'm pulling myself out of this toxic teacher environment and I'm going to go express myself. And maybe I am a shitty writer, but I'm going to write anyway, yeah. or I'm going to paint the walls anyway. And so there's all these moments in our lives that the spectrum is, it was an everyday moment, but it was just that person that made me feel like I wasn't good enough. Or that person that said that thing to me, I can remember I went from Catholic school where you had a uniform to public school and I had one pair of shoes Mm -hmm. because in Catholic school, 
you wore the same thing every day. Right. And I remember hearing girls say to me in the hallway, like about me next to me, God, doesn't she have any other shoes? She always wears those shoes. I still think about that. Do you know how many shoes are in my closet? Hundreds. Okay. Because I will never be caught wearing the same shoe all the time. And I know that about myself. And now I stop buying shoes all the time. But in my twenties, I was like, I need new shoes. I need to make sure my sneakers are clean. I need to make sure I have different shoes for different outfits. And it was like, you know, what was driving that those mean girls in sixth grade who made me feel small. And then I finally got over it. And so now I don't have a shopping shoe shopping problem. But I say, yeah, but those things shape me. I remember in eighth grade, uh, this kid I had a crush on called me the Budweiser blimp. Oh my God. And it was like right after a pretty intense trauma. And I was like stepping into my eating disorder. And it, it was what I consciously remembered. Yeah. It was what I consciously remembered as the cause. Like, oh, cause he called me fat and it wasn't that, but it was, and he screamed it through the halls. And it was just like death inside, like so much pain. And even to this day, you know, it, and feel it and I can rewrite that script and I have like I'm not the Budweiser blend and I wasn't in any <laughs> and way I love food and yeah, yeah and and I fucking love Budweiser they sponsored <laughs> box of flow they would send cases of it and I would drink Bud Heavies and I still wasn't the Budweiser blend but it was that moment that like stings you or and there was another one like now that I'm thinking about it I was on the varsity tennis team I was in seventh grade and all of the hot guys like we were going on a bus together the girls yeah. team the guys team and I poured a bottle of water out of the bus window and the other windows were open. So the water sprayed all the way back in the bus. <laughs> and I think his name was Chip. He was the coach. And he said, are you fucking stupid? You're never going to get into college. I was in seventh grade. What? I swear. And it wasn't even what he said because like, fuck you, dude. I applied early decision and I got into college. <laughs> I didn't even want to go to college. Yeah. It served me no purpose because I was also very shut down in college. Yeah. Um, and traumatized again in college but it was like this humiliation in front of these boys in front of this team and I was the youngest and I just remember the life being sucked out of me at that moment like how do adults talk to like kids this way well I think there's like two things that are coming up for me one is like if we just look at each other when we're in pain and this I think is what my mother taught me and what she was trying to teach me can't ask her but I think so is like in each of us is a moment like that, many mm-hmm. moments like that. And if we just realize that we're all just overcoming moments like yeah. that, there's so much room for compassion. And of course, I'm not talking about people that mm-hmm. are violent or harm us, but even then are traumatized and it's a cycle. But it's also that the difference between that person and I had a professor in college when I was a sophomore, when my assault happened, I came back and I was failing out of school, mm. failing, but I went to every class. Yeah. I took copious notes and he pulls me into his office one day and he's like, I have to ask you, you come to class every week. You ask great questions. You take notes. You're failing my class. Are you okay? Mm. And he was the first person, not my parents, not somebody I knew, my professor, who was like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you could take a break. You can pause college and you can come back. There's ways to do that. Do you want me to help you do that? And mm-hmm. I was like, I do want you to help me do that. And I took a semester off and my parents had these rules. I had to have a job. You know, I had to go to therapy every week. I had to have breakfast with my dad every Thursday. And that's where my dad and I like started to heal our relationship and create a new relationship. I never saw that professor again until the day I was graduating. My mom has died now. So now I'm graduating. My mother's not there. 
I'm just like floating through life, right? Just trying to grasp at anything. I walk across the stage, they say my name. I don't even care about this really. I went to college for my parents, you know, to, for society. I, lo- I loved, I had incredible professors and I'm so thankful for it, but I didn't have some vision, right? Of what college would be. I just was doing the thing I was supposed to do. And I walked down and there's the professor. And he touched me and he goes, your name was the name I was most proud to see today. Oh my God. I just started bawling. I'm melting. Right? And it's like, I can't even talk about it. That's the difference between the guy on the fucking bus with the water and the guy that found me. Right. The guy and that's, what's, uh, that, that's what the world can be. Right? Right? That's what I get up out of bed for. That's what I do my work for. That's what I live for is to be that person for somebody. Just to see, to see somebody in their pain, in their power, in their pleasure, in their creativity. All of it. Yeah. And even, you know, in, I think a lot of it is to see someone when they need help, ask them or hold the space for them to tell you and to remind them that this is just right now. Right. That there's just, just right so now. other side, yeah. but I've been there where I didn't know if the next day was going to come or if I wanted it to come more than just when I was 19. I've had bouts of depression. Of this trauma comes and goes. It's dark. Yeah. It's light. It's interesting because I grew up in such a, a supportive household, yeah. but also a supportive household that didn't really talk about feelings. Yeah. And I now I acknowledge, I didn't really understand that I probably lived with depression, deep depression, yeah. most of my life. It's also where I created from. So there is beauty there, yeah. Oh, yeah. but in a way, like I didn't have anywhere to put it. So I, you know, I, a lot of self-sabotage and so then much. eventually became like, you know, really beautiful creations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the way I talked to myself, the way that I treated myself in that depression. And then when small things happen, it was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Like, what would it look like to not be here anymore? Yeah. And I, I never acted on it, but uh, consciously, like in a way that was extreme, but I acted on it every single day because I was always fighting myself. Yeah. I was always choosing anything else except me, nothing to fuel me. Choosing the harm that you knew. It was just normal. constant, whether it was someone that was filling my time, whether it was filling or emptying my body, whether it was like too much alcohol, whether it was just eating candy, like whatever it was to poison myself mm-hmm. because I felt so... Um, distanced from who I had no idea who I was what I was because it it didn't seem to matter to anybody else so why would it matter to me yeah 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 well and mine was the starvation of refusing to give myself the things that I needed or wanted because there was no reason to be alive right why nourish yourself if you're not worthy of being alive why nourish yourself if you're just a piece of shit that doesn't have anything to offer the world Mm. might as well just like starve yourself to death right it's like there's both and there's both the the addiction to the substances that harm us and then there's the addiction to like not giving us any yourself anything any grace anything that you need I mean it manifests in so many ways I'm college and freshman year I lived off of I think regular soda and like a mini chocolate bar Mm -hmm. from like the whatever or like a blow pop like that was but I was eating sugar vanilla ice cream yeah Yeah. so (laughs) yeah and and like to justify that or and in my college freshman dorm room it was two beds me and a roommate and in between was the the fridge and a scale oh can you imagine can you fucking imagine that was our norm that was our dorm oh no yeah Tyler tried to put or my partner tried to put a scale in the or he tried to talk about a scale and I go there will never be a scale in my house ever ever I mean my boo has one and 
if I even, I like, that's also part of the reason I don't go over there. <laughs> like, it's, like, I will never be reduced to a number that I used to always fucking reduce myself to. I'm not a number. No. I, like, I, I can feel my body. Yeah. I know what it means. I know how to move it. I, I used to work out. I used to go to the gym two hours a day in college, mm-hmm. just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. At one point, my sister pulled me aside. It was after my mom died. And she said, people are asking me if you're okay. And I was like, well, no. I'm not okay. Mm. Our mother's dead. Are you okay? Like, what? Of course I'm not okay. What do you want me to do? What what is it that you need from me, people? Mm. Like, what do you need? I love when you acknowledge (laughs) that. I would say, what do you need? Like, fuck you. It would make me angry. I just was like, no, I'm not okay. Thank you for noticing. I'm not okay. Thank you finally for noticing. I've been trying to starve myself so that someone would notice that I'm not okay. And then nobody even says anything. No one says anything. They're just I like, mean, oh, you're yeah. so skinny and beautiful. Right. And oh, you're like, I'm, I'm dying inside. Right. Oh. <laughs> Man. So for, I guess to wrap this up. Yeah. To anyone who's ever experienced pain. Yeah. To ev- anyone who's feeling pain or lack or less than. Like what? Uh, well, let us both be lead by example that like, we know, mm-hmm. we feel it. Um, we are it, and it's also not us. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I almost feel like there's, like, what do you say in terms of encouragement? I guess for me, it's like, this past year plus, really like blindsided me in a way of, yeah. showed me everything I've needed to see my truth, and it's like I said, it hasn't been until recently among a couple of months that I've been able to crawl out of that darkness that I've lived in my whole life and been like wow fucking thank you thank you God for giving me these gifts that I have been able to use and will use for me no longer against me let me lead by example that you too can be a beacon of hope of love of prosper of compassion of empathy of partnership of friendship um like to be here for something so much bigger than ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think the best phrase I ever learned beginning in my awareness of all of this work is both and. Mm-hmm. I can be both severely depressed yeah. and extremely joyful. Yeah. Um, and I can remember, and I probably will, I, I mean, let's knock on wood somewhere. I hope that I've gotten to a place where I understand myself enough that I don't have to go back there, but you never know what life's going to bring you. I can remember when hearing on a podcast, like, um, find compassion. And like, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. Like I can remember (laughs) being that angry. And I've looked at spiritual coaches and therapists in the eye. I remember the first therapist I had in New York after my mom died, I was sitting in her office. I'll never forget her, Lisa young cause. Hello, please hear this. How much you saved my life. And I've sent every friend to her that I've had in New York. Um, she said, it's going to get better. And I looked at her and I had never talked to anyone like this in my life because I was programmed as a good Midwestern girl to just be like, thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Everything's fine. And I was like, how would you know? Oh God. And it was like <laughs> nice yeah. to her face. And she goes, cause I've been there. Mm. And she told me she lost a parent. And that was a moment where I just, it was so comforting for this therapist that's supposed to be this like vessel of professionalism and separation you know for her to just honor her humanity and say to me like and she was crying we were both crying she got tears in her eyes she was like because I've been there and I'm okay Mm -hmm. and that's what I want to say is like listen I've been there 
Yeah. And I'm okay. And I'm not always okay. Mm -hmm. And there's new level, new devil. And there's days where I'm just like, do I open one eye, open the other? And I'm like, oh, here we go. But then there's other days where I jump out of bed because there's something to create or there's someone I'm having a call with or I'm getting to see Olivia or I take my dog on a walk and he makes me laugh so hard. And I, you know, I, yesterday I was telling you, I went on a run with my partner who's like an Olympic athlete and he runs like four minute miles. It's not real, but really kind of. And I was like, no, I'm going to jog with him. And like two miles in, I was like, okay, I'm losing it. And I just said to him out loud, I go, if we want to keep going, I'm going to have to say my affirmations out loud. And he's like, do it girl. And I was like, I am safe. I am beautiful. I am funny. I am like, you know, and he just ran with me and he didn't say anything. And we ran four miles. Beautiful. And it's like, I'm still doing that work every day. And yet I'm teaching people and helping people. And I'm somewhere else on my journey than the people that come through my door. And like, that's okay. I've been there. I know the way out. I think that's what it's so powerful because, you know, we see these people who have platforms and you think about who you can help or who can help you or whatever else. The only way that you can help another is if you've helped yourself Yeah. to walk in. You can't walk in anyone else's shoes, right? But you can carry them or hold them or hold their hand and, and bring them with you. And I think the people that you and I have worked with are only people that we can acknowledge their journey as ours. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think ultimately we are all connected in this world. And unfortunately there are a lot of people as we've said in pain with trauma without trauma with big small whatever it is we all have feelings we are here to feel and I think we've come to a time in this society where uh the numbing of the feelings is it's not working any longer people will continue to try and do it but it's not worth it any longer no it's dangerous but also I will say that like I often say I'll take a sales call with anyone who's in the vein of what I do. It is not my job to sell them. My job is to find out if what we're doing is effective for them for Mm -hmm. where they are and also tell them that there are so many resources that might be a better fit if they are. So if you're listening to this and you're realizing you have trauma or you're in the middle of trauma or you're you're not feeling like yourself, keep looking because what works for me might not work for you. What works for Olivia might not work for you, but there are so many teachers. There are so many resources. There are so many books. There are so many doctors. There are so many spiritual coaches. There are so many modalities. Something will work. And I remember feeling like I have had all these tools for over 20 years. And this past summer, they kind of started to fail me. Like it was just, it wasn't working anymore because I was realizing a new trauma and it was really overwhelming. And I remember just being like, I don't think there's anything to help me, Mm -hmm. but I just, every day I woke up and did one more podcast, one more Google search, one more, you know, blog, read one more book or one more chapter and something just kept leading to more effective things for me. So when you feel like all the things you've tried or you've tried everything and there's nothing left. I promise you the world is vast and it might be something in German and it might be some, you know, it might be Judaism. It might be, it could be anything. Just keep looking Mm -hmm. for something that can give you a little bit of hope, a little bit of support, because it's those strings that you pull that are going to open it up even more. And then you're going to find something that gives you the real relief and you can find that hope again. So it's there. Right. And I think it's just a matter of continuing to choose you. Yeah. Like acknowledge that if you're not choosing you, you're giving something else your power yeah. and nothing but you deserves your power, especially if it's been taken before. 
Oh gosh, yes. So keep choosing. And that your power isn't ever gone. It's just locating it is something you're going to have to do if someone tried to tell you that you didn't have any because you start to believe that you don't. But the truth is, it's always there. That's why when you were like, well, I put this leader chart. No, that was your power. You were always fucking taking your power back, right? Like constantly. But now you understand you don't have to take it back from somewhere. Right. Right. It was always always inside of you. Like you're right. Totally. So with that perfect segue, <laughs> everything you need is inside. What does that mean to you? Um, to me, it just means that you were created with uh, every ounce of everything that you need to survive this world, no matter what has happened to you. So um, you can go inside to your mind and absolutely, I always say it, change the software. If your programming is not working for you, if your programming, meaning your thoughts, the way you feel, does not make you feel the way that you want to feel, if your outside does not reflect what you want you want in your life, you can go inside and reprogram everything. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean, I think a lot of times when people think about growth work or reprogramming, or I say that and they think, well, I like who I am. None of this work will take you further from who you are. Going in and reprogramming the software is not about reprogramming you. Mm. It is about reprogramming the beliefs that you were you inherited that are not really about who you are. It's all the layers. I always say what's inside of you is perfect. You have everything you need. What's causing you harm is the backpack you're carrying right. with all the fucking rocks in it. Yeah. And those rocks are what your parents did to you, what maybe someone violently did to you, your teacher that made you feel stupid, your coach that made you feel stupid, the boyfriend that broke your heart, whatever it is, you're carrying a bunch of rocks, your mom dying. I had that rock. It was really big. Um, and your job throughout your lifetime is to every once in a while, and I do it every day, take off the backpack, put everything that's inside of it around you, look at it and go, do I want to carry this? Right. Do I need this? I don't think so. Do I want to carry? Not ready to put that down. Let's put the, I'll put that back in the backpack. I'm not ready to handle that yet. Let me keep going. And as you continue to do that day by day, moment by moment, week by week, year by year, the backpack just gets lighter. Right. And then eventually there's no motherfucking backpack. Right. You can just literally walk through the world and it's not a bunch of pain on your shoulders, yeah. but you have to do that work micro, right? We're not just going to like piece by piece, piece, by piece day piece. by day, moment to moment. Yeah. And then checking in with yourself constantly. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, where do people find you? Uh, TeresaSabatine.com. Okay. First and last name.com. You can join my community from there. You can send me a message, book a call. Um, again, I always say, if we're not the resource for you, we will absolutely do our best to help you find someone that can help you for what you need. Um, and maybe one day I'll be back on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It feels safe. I don't have to post <laughs> photos of myself. <laughs> so you can find me there. Thank you. Thank you.